Welcome to the Mental Arsenal Podcast, your go-to resource for creating an extraordinary life and business from the inside out. I am your host, Master Life Coach and Business Success Coach, Chris Acebu. This podcast is dedicated to helping purpose-driven leaders and entrepreneurs and ambitious people like you thrive in life and business by mastering the inner game. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Tyler Evans has been in the sales slash entrepreneur game for over 18 years, and he's passionate about the skills that it takes to be a top performing salesperson. And he has the hardware to back it up because while most people talk about how to be great in sales, he has lived it. Being able to turn around seven sales teams for Fortune 500 companies. Ty has founded three of his own companies. One of the companies he sold, another company he's currently scaling, and another he's about to launch. He's also He also actively invests in real estate, forex, crypto, and the market. He's the host of Grind, Sell, Elevate podcast, which is now in the top 1% of all podcasts worldwide. Additionally, he is also passionate about personal development and is a mentor to young men and women. Welcome to the show, Ty. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Well-deserved. I mean, you've been at this entrepreneurial game for almost two decades and definitely you have such a wonderful story in terms of like how you got to where you are now and i want to give some time for you to share a little bit about your journey when you started out as an entrepreneur well it's interesting not a lot of people know this and i don't probably talk about it often enough but that my first kind of exposure to entrepreneurship and, and starting a company was I watched my my aunt scale a company to be an eight-figure company when I was a child, which is always intriguing because she traveled all over the world. She had a nice big house by the beach, had all kinds of cars. So I thought that was cool. But in, in college, my roommate, he was like, hey, we should start a clothing brand. And I was like, okay. And so I was I think I was maybe just as turning 21 and so I went on this venture with him, which failed miserably, but it was a really good learning lesson early on. And it was kind of exciting to do something that young, regardless if it was successful or not. And then as I got older, I kind of just never lost that bug. And I always leveraged my sales career to make a lot of money to put into different avenues. Nice. Yeah, that's interesting. And definitely that's something that I feel a lot of people should take advantage of to start stuff and because when we're young we have a lot of room to make all those errors and when we start ventures and i think it's popular entrepreneurship like the first business or company you start it usually fails but then that provides like an awesome stepping stone to get you to that next business or the next idea as long as you learn from that failure. So yeah, yeah. thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I absolutely did. It's like, it's like I did something similar about seven, eight years later, but I took all the things that were terrible and just didn't make those mistakes again. And then that went swimmingly well. So it was, uh, I definitely learned from it. Yeah, I think that's what makes this so powerful. And 
this is something that is often overlooked. And for a lot of people who are new to the world of entrepreneurship, I think there's an important shift in thinking around failure. I think people mm-hmm. tend to avoid starting their own venture or starting their own company out of fear of failure. And unfortunately, people don't get anything out into the world. You can never start. And what I'm trying to say is like the important shift is that people need to acknowledge that failure is part of the process and that no matter how hard you plan, no matter how awesome your strategy is, you're going to fail. You're going to encounter failures. And just a shift in thinking of like seeing failure as a stepping stone, as a part of the process, as something that's not avoidable and something you have to be okay with, I think is very freeing and liberating because a lot of people try to avoid it and you can't. No, I totally agree with you. You know, that I think that for me, one of the things that can be overlooked in society, and not a lot of people think about this, but I started playing sports at a really young age. And I think this is some of the problems, a little bit the way we're constructing children today. It's kind of now, it's kind of a little bit overturned, but like the whole participation trophy thing, right? Like everybody's yeah. wins. And then and in the game, in, in life, that's not really the way it is. There are winners and there are losers. And in sports, there's a scoreboard and there's a scoreboard for a reason, right? There's winners and losers. And so for me, I, I was always in like a high school, I was a triathlete scholar. And so I played not like at a super high level, but I played enough to where I got used to losing. And if you lose in a game in basketball or football, or you lose a track meet, whatever it is, baseball, you just move on and you go practice and you get better and you work with your teammates and you redefine your skill set. And then you just try again. And so I think that for me, it's never been discouraging to to fail because it's it was a lesson I learned early in life. Yeah. And I think what that brings up for me is just the concept of enjoying the process. I mean, when you enjoy mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, not that it's always going to be fun all the time. There will definitely be tough moments, but if you enjoy the process, you won't be bothered so much by these losses and failures. You're just in it for the ride and for the entrepreneurial adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. And you know, with like starting companies and businesses, I think it's such a great way to learn. Of course, we can learn in through other ways, but starting a business, running a company, I think that really stretches you and forces you to grow, grow as a person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that just in general, life is about growth, right? Even people that a lot of people now talk about comfortability zone, but I really think that comfortability zone is just equated to being stagnant. And if you're stagnant, you're really regressing, right? If you're not progressing, you're regressing. And I think that's where a lot of people, they suffer a lack of fulfillment is because they're not challenging themselves daily, either mentally, physically, or spiritually. And it's important. I mean, it's nice to have nice things. And it's nice to make a lot of money through business, but it's more about like just playing a game of how far can I push myself? What knowledge can I acquire? And then and through that, like you said, the process and enjoying the process, you be, you become more familiar with who you are and what you are capable of and able to give to others, right? And I think that's just what life is about. It's about just continually progressing and evolving. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And that really resonates that is the impulse of nature, just like a seed grows into a tree and a fetus turns into a baby. Our impulse is to be the best version of ourselves, to actualize all that we can be. And yeah, we all have that impulse. And so 
to our viewers and listeners, if you're not living up to your greatness deep inside that, you know, you're playing a mediocre life or you're playing small. And that's why for a lot of people, they get this sense of dread or anxiety or depression that's I want to distinguish non-clinical anxiety or depression, but just this lower frequency emotions or feelings because they're not mm-hmm. rising up and they know that they're not rising up to those higher levels. And that can be hard or challenging if it's not something that you're used to or accustomed to, because like you said, like being in your comfort zone, if you leave that, it will feel really scary and uncomfortable because it's unknown territory. You've never been there before. It's almost ironic, but that is the place where life really does begin at the end of your comfort zone. So we need to get comfortable with discomfort and the and always also acknowledge that initially it'll be hard and scary, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, I totally agree. I tell people all the time that really your fear is really a North Star, permitting the obvious danger. Really, the thing that you're most scared of doing is really just your heart calling you to walk into that, right? And your people are very resistant to that because of the fear of the unknown. But once you do and you get it on the other side, and I had a lot of experiences of being myself of doing that. And we can talk about that if you want, but getting really uncomfortable and I've always forced myself to do that and kind of throw a lot on the line. And every time I have, it's worked out really well for me. And I've been happy through the process. I mean, at times I want to put my head through a wall, but seeing it all the way through is the most rewarding feeling getting to the other side. I really love that. Fear is your North Star. Wow. We're going to turn that into a quote after the show because that is (laughs) such a powerful reframe, right? I think because it's, more often than not, fear is the opposite for most people. Fear is a stop sign, not their North Star. When people experience fear, they misinterpret that as stop, turn around, don't go there. But then when you reframe it into a go signal, a green light to keep going mm-hmm. on the right track. And this is not about being careless, you guys. This is like jump off a building or whatever. This is like about like taking those risks or going to places mentally, emotionally, or in business or in your relationships that you've never gone to before. And trusting that as a guidance system. I think that's so powerful because a lot of people don't think about fear that way. But then when you make that shift in thinking, it's so powerful because, wow, you realize fear has been serving you all this time. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for yeah, mentioning absolutely. that. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- no, absolutely. No, I was happy to share it. Yeah. So what was that thing that you mentioned earlier? We can, we have time to talk about it. You mentioned oh, sure. is it around fear. Yeah. So I would say one of the biggest life-changing moments for me was I was living in California. I'm a California native. Never left the state. I've traveled quite a bit, but never left the state. And my wife's from Florida. And we were just, we had two small boys, there were three and one at the time. And I had a really nice corporate job that I had been scaling up at. And I started two ventures on the side. My wife had a nice business that she was running. And so on paper, it looked like everything was going well, but we just wanted to get out of California for the obvious reasons of cost of living and trying to look at where we want to be in five and 10 years. And there was no way for me to have a soft landing pad. And so I quit a high paying six figure job 
and I, my wife sold her business and we took all the money that we had from our savings account to buy a home in Georgia, like not been spent a lot of time in the deep South. So we move across the country with two small children, basically drain our savings account. We'd only been married a couple of years, sold our business. And we basically went to one income that was about $50,000. And it was extremely uncomfortable. I jumped into a whole new avenue of business that I had never done before. And it had a pretty significant ramp up time. And we basically put it all on the line, right? We didn't have a safety net anymore. It was wrapped up in the house. My wife didn't have an income and mine couldn't support us. (laughs) And so, but we did it because the potential for me was to 3x my income and uh, which would give us the, some type of financial stability to where we wanted to get for investments and other things that now I've gotten into. So we we did it and uh, it did took, I didn't take a day off for 13 months. I just grinded. Uh, my wife stayed at home with the kids and I started another little business on the side with my brother and got after it and come full circle 18 months. I became rookie of the year for that company. I was ranked top 10 nationally as a salesperson in in the company as a rookie. Started my second year as number one in the country. And then I was the fastest person to ever get promoted in the company. And uh, I 3X my income. So uh, from where I had been in California. And so it was one of those, is this one of the scary position where everything was on me to be able to get our family through it. And my wife believed in me. I believed in myself and I just had to swallow my fear and walk into it. And it all worked out exactly the way that I had envisioned. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story. I think, you know, that inspiring to some people who that resonates with. I think sometimes we get to a crossroad in life and we need to make a decision on whether we should keep going a certain path or we should take a different path. But then for a lot of people who get to that uh, the fork, that fork in the road, sometimes they take the comfortable path when they have an inner knowing that they should take another path out of a fear of starting over again or starting from scratch. And that's understandable because that is scary because you are, like you said, letting go of the stability and security and the brain really is opposed to that. The brain wants to keep us alive and safe and that's the complete opposite. But then I think one of the powerful things that we can learn from your story as well was that like that was something we like to call a forcing function. Like you were up against the wall and you had no choice but mm-hmm. to do your very best to make things work. And one thing that stood out for me you said as you finished the story was that your wife believed in you and you believed in yourself i think that's so powerful i think that's really powerful and to our viewers and listeners if we can have that community whether that's in an intimate relationship or our friends or network uh, or even in our immediate family who supports us and believes in us i think that's really powerful but even more powerful is if we can believe in ourselves if Yeah, I think it's a bonus that people believe in us, other people believe in us. But the most important thing is that we ourselves believe in ourselves and our ability to figure things out and our ability to solve problems and find solutions and make things work. I think that was really good. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I mean, my, my father instilled in me a long time ago when I was a little guy, he I might've been even pessimistic, <laughs> but he just said, Ty, the only person you can ever count on in life is yourself. 
He said, you can't count on me. You can't count on your mom. You can't count on your friends. The only person that's ever actually going to get you through life is yourself. And, and I had a little bit of a turbulent childhood and, and I saw that to be true. And, but him kind of reiterating that it's on you. Like, and I tell people like your life right now is a product of decisions that you've made so far in life. Yeah. If you don't like where you're at, you got to look back at the road you just came from and see what decisions you made. And so even starting when I went to college, right? Like I didn't, my parents didn't have any money. So, but I wanted to go to San Diego to go to college because I love San Diego. And I was like, I don't care. I'm going to go figure it out. So I left with a thousand dollars to my name and I had earned working at Ace Hardware the summer before high school. And I had to work two jobs and go to school full time. But it was just like my dad said, I couldn't count on anybody, couldn't count on him, right? And they weren't paying for my college. So I wouldn't figure it out, graduating and a little student loan debt that I paid off now, but it all worked out. Yeah. <clears throat> and what that brings up for me is just the concept of responsibility and accountability. I mean, yeah, we are, and it's empowering though. It feels scary when you think about it and a lot of people avoid taking that responsibility and accountability. But when we reflect on this and realize that we are responsible and we are accountable for the results in our lives, it's actually very empowering because now we are in the driver's seat and we can feel like, okay, what can I do to change things and to go through a different trajectory or whatever path we want to take? So I think it's really powerful too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're always in the driver's seat, right? Yeah. but people Whether you forget, believe it or not. Yeah. But people forget sometimes. And when you're not in the driver's seat, like there's always going to be someone else. It's the society, it's your parents, it's your, your peers, your high school friends, or even your inner child, your younger self. Uh, it's so funny how a lot of the decisions we make as adults are being made by our fearful, insecure teenage self. <laughs> so... Yeah, definitely. It requires you know, inner work and being able to become self-aware and notice who's making the decision here and who's taking yeah. the responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes back to the earlier point, right? Of always progressing and understanding because we're all imprinted, right? I think you accumulate your self-worth by the age of seven. And so mm. your influences from the time you're born to seven are really put you on a certain type of trajectory to where you're going to land as an adult. And if you're not conscious of those imprints that your parents, society, family members, people your your family was associated with have imprinted on you, you create a whole belief system. This is why I think religion is always so funny, right? Because people are always so passionate about the religion, but religion is just a product of your environment like anything else. Not to diss any religion. I just, I've got the Hinduism tattooed on me, Christianity, and I've got even Odin on me. So I think that they're all different trees that spread out in different directions, all getting at the same point. But a lot of people are really unconscious of the where they operate from. And it's like you're talking about doing the deep work, spending time in meditation. When you get triggered with anxiety or you start to feel depressed, you know, deep diving into, okay, where is that coming from? Because it probably does stem from when you're six and you were told you couldn't do something or somebody called you stupid and you're still holding on to those beliefs that you haven't healed from or you haven't let go of to allow you to progress forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And what tends to happen if we do not take control of our minds and we're not conscious enough is that yeah those invisible scripts those imprints that you mentioned they operate our lives behind the scenes and if we cannot create awareness around 
those narratives and scripts and stories, then, you know, we are just a byproduct of these subconscious or unconscious reactions and behaviors. And so, yeah, it's really powerful to be able to, like you said, one of the ways is like to meditate, just increase your awareness around these things and heal those parts of your past self and reconcile and let it go. Of course, I think for some mm-hmm. people, yeah, it's kind of like hard to move forward because they kind of like latch on to those past parts of themselves and they feel identified like that's what makes me who I am but it's not it's just it's a past version of yourself and it has passed it belongs in the past you are what you are now and I think the best way to move forward is to look forward so thinking about where we want to go from where we are now yeah absolutely well your beliefs system becomes your identity and so it's scary to change your identity, right? So it's like beliefs equal identity. And then when you think of having to change your belief systems, you have to change your identity. And that's yeah. what's terrifying to people, right? Because they, yeah. they're like, well, I like who I am, even though they really don't. <laughs> so yeah. more often than not, or they like aspects you know, of themselves and there's other ones that they don't. And so it's just taking a holistic approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Ty, because you're so experienced in the area of sales, I want this episode, We want. I want to talk about sales a little bit because this is something that people struggle with. Sales is can feel icky or people might have weird beliefs or stories around selling or being sold to. In your experience, what has been a common theme that stops people from performing at sales at a high level? Well, I think there's really two things. One, the first and foremost obvious is fear of rejection. Right. And then I think the second thing is that people are ineffective communicators. And I think that, and I think a lot of that comes back to confidence. If you're not confident in who you are, what you stand for, how you conduct yourself in in your character, then you're not confident to talk about your product, good or service in a way that's effective. And then, and then, you know, you get that rejection, which inevitably you will. Then it goes back to all those limiting belief systems. So this is a very thing when I've managed sales teams, everybody that would be listening to this that is that I've managed before is I sit down at the beginning of the year and I take a very holistic approach as a human, right? Like being in sales is, is like being a human being. It's being an effective communicator. It's not about really persuasion to me. It's not about manipulation. And those tactics are out there, which is well, sales kind of sometimes has a negative connotation to it. But I'd sit down with people and say, hey, talk to me about your, your personal goals. Talk to me about your professional goals. And so I have each team member, whether they're service or their sales or whoever I've managed on my teams, I have them list three to five personal professional goals. And most people don't do that. As I'm sure you're aware. And most people, the people that 3% of people that do write out their goals, less of that 3% actually accomplish their goals. And it's because they say, I want to do this, but there's zero roadmap. So then I walk through and we walk out a roadmap and we have accountability check marks for their goals. And in, through this process, it gets them very aligned with what they want, why they're in sales, and it helps them drive forward on those days that are tough. But it also gives me a point to check in with the rat when it comes to sales, but also with their professional stuff. Because, hey, if you had a shit day on the phone, sorry, I don't, Chris, I don't know if you're allowed to swear in here. But if you had a, All if, right. if you had a, ba- if you had a bad day on the phone, right? And you're feeling really rejected. Well, then, okay, what you said that which you were trying to accomplish this quarter was to have X quota so you can take your family to Hawaii, 
right? And so it's just making these simple correlations, which most people don't because they're fear of the rejection, which then affects their communication and then they can never get their value proposition across. Wow, that's very insightful. And I totally agree. I mean, that's something that stops so many of us, not just in the areas of sales, but in so many other aspects of life, that fear of rejection. And we also can acknowledge that's just how the brain is wired. (laughs) The ancient brain is wired for wanting belongingness and seeking approval and wanting to belong to a group. And, you know, that part of the brain is like linked to physical pain. So when we get rejected, it literally feels like we're getting physically injured or dying even. So we need to hone our muscles, our rejection muscles. And I think what I really love in the area of rejection is like, don't take it personally. (laughs) It's not, yeah, it's not about you. And as we talked about earlier in the episode, taking that as feedback. So if you look at rejection as a failure to get a sale, like asking questions like, okay, what can I learn from this? Or, or even asking the customer or the client, I think, on why, what their objections were and learning from that really. And I think like in sales, like it's so popular, right? I think there's this law of averages, like before you get to the sale, you're going to go through a bunch of rejections and we need to be okay with that. I think that's what just stops a lot of people. And it's unfortunate. yeah. Yeah. And one thing you talked about, yeah, is like self-confidence and believing in your product. And I think that mm. speaks to the theme of the show, right? Creating an extraordinary life and business from the inside out. So it's really doing that inner work and being self-confident and believing in what you sell, given that what you sell, you believe that it can improve someone's life. And if that's the case, like I think we should do all that we can to sell, to sell it. I totally agree that uh, I learned that lesson in my first corporate gig. When I graduated college, I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, which is a fantastic company to work for. It's a, it was at that time, 15 years ago, it was a bit of a meat grinder, but I learned a ton and I had some great mentors there. And I had worked for the largest surf shop in San Diego in college. And I had won some sales awards and had some success and some early promotions as a young man, which was cool. And then I went over there and I just thought automatically, I didn't really struggle with school, didn't really struggle with sports. I killed it in my first sales job. I was like, ah, I killed it here. And over cocky, and uh, as you tend to do when you're young. And I struggled my first six months really bad and I couldn't really place my finger on it. And so uh, one of the things that I, uh, I've always done and my aunt suggested to me, the one I told you about that's wealthy, is she says, when you struggle, always seek guidance and seek mentorship. And so I reached out to one of the guys that was a what we call a regional rental manager. So he was like my boss's boss. Actually, my boss's boss, right? He was like several rings above me. And he took me to lunch and he said, hey, Tyler, let me ask you a question. Do you really believe in what we're selling? And I go, well, yeah, if they want it, if they don't, then they don't. You know what I mean? He's like, I was like, I don't really want to force it on people. And he mm. goes, so you don't truly believe in what we're selling? And I go... No, I guess not really. And then he walked me through four or five scenarios of people who had not taken the product and how detrimental it was to them financially and to their life. And again, it was just that simple shift in reframing, right? And it taught me a valuable lesson. I tell us to anybody, hey man, if you don't believe in it, don't sell it. You're never going to be successful. You're never going to be successful. And so I then pivoted 
from that point on, and I was able to tell better stories. I was able to see the true value. And I wouldn't say I pushed that value on people, but I certainly did not let them leave that encounter with me without them truly understanding of the potential harm they could put themselves into without taking what we were selling at the time. And then I went within a three month, about a 90 day period, there was about 350 reps that I was competing with. That was number three. And so it just took me on a, a complete different type of trajectory. And it was always, it was a valuable lesson learning. And I think that to your point, when it comes to the communication, one of the things that you said is when you're facing rejection and people are going to reject you, but oftentimes it's it's the it's your language and how you communicate with people, and so being able to lower someone's guard, right, and allow them to be able to hear you, is is a great way. And there's different types of tools and techniques you can do. But oftentimes, sometimes it's just like right when you walk into a store to go buy a new T-shirt, and the person says, "Hey, can is there anything I can help you with?" What do you automatically say? Oh, no, I'm just looking. Leave me right? alone. <laughs> no, I'm just looking. Right, just leave me alone. But you're in the store because you want to buy something or at least you're interested in it. Right. So it's just using a different type of tactic to talk to people, to get them to drop their guard so they can hear you. And then you can actually have a conversation to help assess what their needs are. And then that's really what it's about. It's really about servicing people at the end of the day. Yeah. I love that. And I love that word conversation because sales is really just a conversation. (laughs) That's all it is. Yeah. And and a conversation involves a lot of listening. I think that's something that is a key skill that we all need to develop as business owners, coaches, entrepreneurs. I think it's such a powerful skill to be able to listen. And yeah, and sometimes, yeah, it is the words that we use that can lower some people's guard and allow them to open up. But then more importantly, also, it's like, Like you said earlier, really, the consciousness you bring to the conversation. Like, are you coming at this sales conversation with a fearful mind or with desperation? Like, oh, I need to close this sale or like, or you have these fears, like, oh, they're going to reject this. So you need to just free yourself up from that emotional kind of like baggage and really just be open, just be present in the sales conversation. I think it's so powerful. Yeah, I agree. And there's different things that you want to do that, that I help people with to set that up because that is the one of the worst feelings. You come in Monday morning from having a great weekend with your friends or your family, right? Your, uh, or whatever you did. And then you, oh, the oh man, I got to get on the phones. And I've experienced this. I still do. There's still days I'm like, God, there's, I don't want to pick this thing up. But what I teach people to do is start with like a pyramid. And I got this from Jed Blunt. And so it's right. It's just like, I always start with my most important business, but also my most meaningful clients and conversations. Because if I talk to people early in the day that know, like, and trust me, and I have meaningful conversations early on with people I can truly connect with, it makes it easier on my 20th call that's going to be completely cold because I've already had several great conversations or I've already had several dopamine hits. I already feel confident because I'm moving in the right direction. So I tell people, hey, with your business that's close to closing or business that's just closed, that's in like maybe an implementation stage, call those people first. And then you scale down to maybe people that you're working on leads with, right? 
and then talk to people that you've already had warm conversations with, but maybe they're not necessarily in the buying cycle. And then maybe we scale out and you go to the completely cold. So not only does it warm you up, but you're also attacking the most important business first in the early in the day. I love that. A really common productivity concept that people circulate online is about eating the frog, <laughs> doing the hard, messy, like not delicious things first. And that resonates with me because I'm not like that. I like to do the fun, easy, enjoyable things first. And I like to stack those mental and emotional wins and create momentum. And I can get to those mm. ickier, not so fun things later on. So it doesn't mean it doesn't work. I'm not opposed to the idea. It's just like, that's my unique experience. And I really like that you you share that because that resonates with me personally. Yeah. No, I, and I think that I read somewhere about that analogy and I think that people take out of context a bit, right? I mean, there is a thing that I don't let the tougher calls lag till 4 p.m. when I don't have any willpower and I'm tired, right? So we still want to attack it earlier in the day. But yeah, I think that you hit it right in the head. You want to feel good about what you're doing and have some positivity and a lot of momentum, right? I would say, I was used to joke with the sales reps, Mo's your friend, momentum. So we named it. Awesome. So in terms of improving our ability to sell, we talked about a bunch of stuff earlier, but do you have any top strategies or exercises that people can do to become, let's say, more confident or comfortable with selling? Yeah. So first and foremost, you got to role play. If you're not role playing, you're not going to be confident, right? And so this is where you need to find an accountability partner or coach or with your manager. And so for the sales leaders out there, leaders in general, I think to me, it's really important. What happens is salespeople get onboarded and they're taught product, but they're not taught sales. And those are two completely separate things. And so I was always, of course, you got to teach the product. Like that's a no brainer. But then they go, okay, now you know the product, go sell things, right? Well, that's not really the way it works. Because it's, again, it's about progression. It's about constant evolution. It's about building your skill set. It's about building your muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So for me, with my teams, we typically would role play three days a week. First thing, like if work starts at eight, we're in the conference room and we're ha- we, I had a sales meeting every single day of the week. One, because I think it's important to always align your vision and to make sure that because teams and corporations can be very compartmentalized, which is how you get really fractured results. And so bringing everybody together every day for a short, quick meeting and aligning the vision, this department's doing this, this department's doing this new product rolled out. Here's how we implement it. It builds a lot of cohesion and a great culture within an individual team or within an organization or within a small to medium-sized business. But we did sales training every day and three of those, usually two to three a days, but more often than not, three days a week, we do role-playing and it'd get my guys really, and gals really warmed up. And they knew that for me, it was going to be the worst phone call that they had all day was dealing with me in the morning. Because I would, I've just, I'm absolutely ruthless, just a savage with role playing. <laughs> so that's something I think that you should do because when you're dealing with someone who's giving you, you've dealt with the rejection over and over, your responses just become automatic, right? A lot of times people, they're scared of that first intro call of like, how do I just get someone to listen to me? So if you're constantly practicing that and you're tinkering with new ways of getting someone to lower their guard, it is really beneficial. The other things that I think that sometimes 
you and your prospect, what you're always expecting them to do is say yes. And you're always trying to push them to say yes. And so starting to phrase things in a no oriented question and or counting the no's is, is like a fun game, but it also psychologically, it makes people stop. Like I'll give you, I'll give you, I can give you a couple of examples. Here's a common rejection people always get, right? I'm not interested. Usually what I'll do is stop. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. And then the person's, they kind of, they kind of pull back a little bit. Oh, well, you didn't offend me. Oh, well, I thought that I did because you said that you weren't interested. I don't even know if we're a right fit to work together. I was simply having a call to see if we might be a potential fit. Would you mind if I asked you a few questions? Right. And then that their guards lowered, I caught them off guard. Or instead of someone, you get to the end of a presentation, they're expecting you to go in for the kill. Right. And so you can frame things in a certain way where, especially on a first cold call, because what you're trying to really get is to move to that next demo, to the next meeting. Right. So you can have more time to build rapport. And usually what I'll ask them is a no warranted question. Chris, would you be opposed to the next meeting? And so, right, right. It totally, it just totally makes you think in a different way is because you're so, you're waiting for it and you're waiting for me to ask for the yes. And then you just do something <laughs> like that. Just something small, little shift and it completely changes the trajectory. So there's just little things like that. See, I don't think that's manipulation. It's me being an effective communicator, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also calling out if you're a small company and you're competing in a larger space, just saying, hey, I know that we're a small company. And I know that there's a lot of people out in the marketplace that may have more technology, they may have more of this, and we're here. But he, And so you just completely get all their all objections out of the way, and then you go into why you still think that you'd be a great fit. It is little things like that. I think that a lot of people don't think about strategy and how to deliver their true value proposition, and then they get lost as a commodity, and they get lost in the noise, and they struggle. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. That's really powerful. I mean, that's a crash course right there when it comes to improving sales. And it's something that we can all implement right away. And in in the world of coaching, role-playing really is one of those top coaching tools because it helps you almost live and create a, what's the right word? What's that thing that they do again in a pilot school? A simulation. You simulate the sales uh, scenario and that you get used to it. I get, I remember a client where I was asking them, they were having a hard time selling a package. And I tell them like, okay, pretend I'm the customer and I'm asking you how much you're charging. And when she would say the price, she would feel so icky about it. <laughs> She'd be like, okay, oh, like $2,000. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you need to practice. Like keep saying that over and over again. For this package, I charge this amount and say it to your partner, say it to your parents or say it to your friend. And so you can get comfortable with saying it. And like you said, like the mental muscle, you literally create a neural pathway for those things and it becomes almost second nature so that when you get to the actual sales conversation, you're not you're not anxious about what you have to say. You're already so practiced. It's like you're mentally rehearsed. I think that's so powerful and underutilized. Like a lot of people don't think of even to do that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. When you brought up a great point and it's the saying that I had, don't think with your own wallet. Right. And because a lot of us, we project our own insecurities of money onto our clients 
And it's a total, like $2,000 can be nothing to somebody else. They won't even bat an eye. Then you're like, shit, I should have asked for six. And so that's, it's an early learning lesson. That's why you got to believe in your product and never think with your own wallet because you don't know what that person, I'll give you a quick example. Early in my insurance career, I, I this gentleman came in that needed help and he said, hey, I want to quote this old car. And this dude was in his mid sixties, completely unkept. He looked dirty. He was in disgusting overalls and a filthy white shirt. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this dude's gonna be a waste of my time, but I gotta help him. I'll give him a quote on his whatever is his POS truck. And so he goes, yeah, I've got this old classic car. And my family, both my dad and my stepdad fix up old cars. So I know a little bit about them. I go, okay, sure. What do you got? And so we go through this scenario the whole time. I'm not really trying to build a report with the guy because I think he's wasting my time. And um come to find out he's got 75 classic cars and he's got two $3 million homes one mile apart from each other. And he's extremely wealthy. And I ended up actually writing business with him. Right. But like, I was ready to write this dude off. Just had no idea. And we do that so often. And through these little lessons, I went from selling, you know, $500 deals to now where I sell multi-million dollar deals. And so you really got to wrap your money, your mind around your money mindset because if you don't have a good money mindset, if you can't sell a $2,000 deal, you can never sell a $20,000 deal, right? And that's where most people are trying to get those big ticket sales. And so it's a really important lesson, the little nugget you shared there. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful story too. Sometimes we can, I like to say, superimpose our own fears and beliefs around money and being able to afford things on our clients. And that's what stops us because we're imposing. <laughs> that's why we mm -hmm. need to do the inner work and release all those stories that we might have learned in childhood or from our upbringing and not and see clients as they are and not make these assumptions i think is not only powerful but also very generous for the other person because we're not creating a judgment around them and absolutely yeah yeah and we're not imposing we're not telling them what they can or they can't afford <laughs> essentially we believe in their ability to afford <laughs> to pay for things in a way yeah. Well, you're, I've learned so much from everything that you shared. You're definitely an expert in this area. And it speaks to your almost two decades of experience in sales and building. Well, now you make me sound old, Chris. Well, you look really young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you started young, so you're still young. And, and yeah, definitely. And I... I always feel like we're age is just a mental, it's a state of mind and we can stay youthful mm. no matter what age <laughs> we are. You look really young, man. And I think like that's what living a full life does to you. There's just a life force, energy force. When you do things that you're passionate about, when you're doing things that are worthwhile and meaningful, I think that really makes you young gives you this vitality and energy. And that's not the case for a lot of people because a lot of people, they're not aligned with their gifts, their talents, their strengths, mm -hmm. and what they're passionate about and what they feel is a deeper purpose. And they don't pursue some level of autonomy or mastery in their career or business. That ages them. I totally agree. And then a lot of people, they, they self-sabotage with vices, which then just sounds and perpetuates the problem. And so, yeah, to your point, I'm 38, so I wouldn't say I'm old. But I think, it again, 
it is about living a holistic life. I tell people, if you don't have clarity in your mind, you, you can't have clarity in business. And so it's what it's about. For me, it's about meditation. It's about breath work. It's about the cold showers. I lift weights six days a week. My wife, by trade, she, she owns an interior design firm, but she's a holistic nutritionist. So we, we eat very holistically and we're focused on the quality of our water. Like even my blue blockers, right? Making sure I'm deflecting the light from our screens. So it's all these little things that you can do because it helps you operate at a peak level. If you want to be a peak performance, you got to treat your body. In peak. So I don't want to, I don't mind an occasional glass of wine, but people that are living a fulfilled life, then they turn to things to poison they put in their body, right? And all that's really doing is we're just suppressing our lower frequencies and accessing higher frequencies of consciousness for that little bit of blimp of time that makes us feel elated to escape our problems, but then we come right back to reality. So I think that's all very cyclical. And I like to talk about that stuff because I, especially in sales, it's so prevalent, especially drinking culture. And, uh, but it's hard to operate at a really high level if you're constantly got brain fog and whatnot. Yeah, I love that. And that's something that, we need to have more conversation conversations about in terms of like really growing professionally in our career and our business in our finances is we overlook work doing the personal work like you said like yeah. exercising regularly getting adequate amounts of sleep eating healthy foods getting staying hydrated and helping your mind recharge and renew with meditation or any spiritual practice those things are like people you know, those are things that people would just like roll their eyes over because they're just like what's the strategy what's the technique what's the tactic but those mm -hmm. are i feel the foundational things that we need to work on first and that's why it's so powerful to do the work first before and improve things within so that the things without improve as well. So I think that's a very powerful point. And that's something that I really want to encourage people to work on. It's like work on that, work on those aspects. Like it's not just about those strategies and tactics. Like it's important that you take care of the vessel that makes those things possible, like your body, your mind. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Where did you want to have any more questions or? Yeah, I think so. As we get to the end of the episode, why don't you share a little bit about how people can find you online if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about what you're doing or potentially work with you? Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation. You have a great energy about you. That's one of the things I, I don't talk about either, but I'm attuned to Reiki. And I think everything in life is energy and frequency. And that's really the key to sales when people you meet somebody that you just you want to buy from, it's usually that they're just transmitting a higher level of frequency that you're vibrating with and it makes you feel yeah. good. But yeah, thank you, Chris. I've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, you can find me. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Most places, TikTok at Tizer Evans. My website, you can connect with me. I've got a, my calendar up there. It's just TizerEvans.com. Yeah, you can find me by podcast, you can find me by my name. It's sales intensive. So we got a lot of great sales guys that come on the podcast and we geek out on that stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. So to our viewers and listeners, you know where to find Tizer online. And I really love that last point that you shared on energy and frequency. Like I feel like that's not even something that people in the business world talk about because it's so weird and it's like it feels like the concepts on like spirituality feels too woo-woo and like mysticism and it feels like it does not belong in that 
in that tree or field. But oh my gosh, like that's one of the things that gets overlooked as well. I definitely resonate with those concepts on spirituality and energy and frequency and vibration. They're so true. And I also implore our viewers and listeners to explore these areas, study frequency, vibration, and just get curious. Like we're not here trying to convert anyone into like mysticism or the occult, as they say. It's just get curious because there's so much to learn. Like, and it's not just like, like religion or like spirituality stuff. Like these stuff, the technology and science is catching up. So you can get a more layman's like relatable, like scientific explanations for these things like quantum physics and things like mm. that. And it'll really make sense and it's so powerful. And again, that just speaks to, you know, that inside out process as well, like working on yourself first, working on the energy that you bring to the table, working on the consciousness through which you energize your words and your gestures and your <laughs> everything really so it's all energy and yeah thanks for appreciating <laughs> the energy that i brought here i definitely appreciate yours i appreciate your presence really and for being so generous with the value that you shared i personally learned so much and i feel like i know rather that our viewers and listeners can have a lot of insightful takeaways from what you shared so, Tizer, thank you so much again for joining us on this episode. And so, to our viewers and listeners, remember to believe in yourself, to follow your heart, and to take action. And to remember that success is something you attract by the person you become. We'll catch you next time on the Mental Arsenal Podcast. Hey, go-getter. Want to know a quick way to boost your motivation and productivity? three words crystal clear goals i have a guide for it it's called goal book your guide to crystal clear goals head on over to chrisacebo.com slash goal book and grab your free copy now